Welcome to another episode of the Brown and Black Podcast. My name is Jack Rico. And I'm Mike Sargent. And every week we take a look at race and pop culture through a brown and black lens. Well, Mike, in this episode, we're going to be giving our listeners our top three Latino and top three black films of 2023. For me, this year is a year that I didn't even think we were going to be able to to put out this list because of the strike. But somehow the the movie industry and, and the slate of movies that were coming out later in the year really started shaping up nicely. This might be one of the Better movie years, I would say, in recent memory. Would you agree? Well, I don't know that I would agree. I would say that it was better than some previous years. I think we had some solid films. Like, I did like Barbie. I did like Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. And the films that we're going to mention. And there are some other great films that have come in towards the end of the year in this part of the season. But I don't know that I would say that this was a great year for film. Uh, I I don't know that I would say that. I would say that there there are some gems. Okay. I'll give you that. Look, we don't want to... Mike and I, for this particular episode, we have not shared with each other what those movies are. So whatever reactions we give you, they're on the spot. <laughs> they're natural and organic. And it's one of the things that, that, that I like about this particular episode and how we're going to do this. But for me in particular, the films that I've chosen and the process to get those films, Mike, I think they can be seen by anyone because I think that these movies go beyond something than just language and culture. This is what storytelling is about. Well, I'll go into it more, but for me, what I look for or part of the criteria for me of a film is a film A, is it a film that I would actually want to see again? There are a lot of stories that you see, all right, and it's over, and it doesn't linger with you. It, it doesn't stay with you. So, and this is just overall in terms of films and stories. Like, if it stays with you, if you think about it, if you think about some of the things that were said in the film, some of the conversations, some of the things that are revealed, to me, that that resonates. And it should resonate universally. You're human. You get it. But those are things. The other thing is, like you said, storytelling. I think coming to why we need stories, when you and I have talked about this, because you do learn. You do learn. You are gaining insight. You gain insight to others, to other ways of thinking. But if you have a really well-formed character, as a writer, I could tell you the what I learned is that character is story. And so it's really about the characters. So if you have characters and you put them into, you have a good story, but you have great characters, the story is really what the characters do in the situations and what they're in. So I think that's their component, the great characters, a powerful story, and something that has something to say, something you haven't wasted my time. Here we go. My first choice for one of the top three Latino films of 2023 is At the Gates. Give you it? Mm hmm. 
Está bien grande esta casa. Estate bien hoy. Nico, thank you for helping today. I'm Marianne Barrett. Thanks for letting me come work here. Have you explained the rules? Peter doesn't want anyone going into his office. Yes, he won't be any trouble. Dining window open. Patio door open. Anna, why don't you and your son just go in the guest bedroom? So, Mike, this is one of my favorite movies of 2023. And the film is written and directed by Augustus Mileo Bernstein. And it stars newcomer Ezequiel Pacheco, who is a star in the coming. Vanessa Benavente, Miranda Otto, and Noah Wiley. And you guys know him from ER. It's a flip on the traditional Latino immigrant stories. And it's the story of a wealthy white liberal family that hides their undocumented housekeeper, Anna, and her DACA son, Nico, from ICE agents that are looking for them and all other types of undocumented immigrants in this very wealthy neighborhood. But their goodwill from this white family soon gives way to suspicion, and it raises the question, which is the crux of the movie, which of the two is the real captive? And what I really like about this film, Mike, in particular is, I mean, outside of the great performances that were so convincing and genuine, it's really the themes of the script and the way the suspense that built over and over from the very beginning of that film, that's what really drew me in. The script acts like a Hollywood psychological thriller. And it's from the get-go. You don't know who the heroes or the villains are because they're just not clearly defined for the average moviegoer. We're conditioned to see movies with a delineated hero. And so sometimes when they throw these anti-heroes, we're like, yo, what's going on? <laughs> so imagine a movie like this where you don't know what's cool is good in the movie and who is bad for most of the film. And I think that to me in particular was something that not only held me through this movie, but it was the ambiguity that I felt really drove the entertainment value for me. And it's that real big question that it asks about, does our bias corrupt our morality? And it's a question that I don't even know that if by the end of the movie you can answer it, I think it's a strong reality of the fact that, yeah, you could do something nice for someone, but is it really just that? Interesting. All right. Now that totally goes on my list because it's about relationships. That always comes back to my thoughts on just how transactional relationships really are, like what's going right. on. And I think much of what we talk about in this particular podcast kind of goes to that. It's this notion that if you are better than someone, then you need to stand up to that pure morality as opposed to having maybe an alternate agenda. And does this white family have it with this undocumented family? And listen, man, I'm just going to tell you right off the bat, I, I don't want to give too much away for, the, for, for you that are going to see this really psychological, thrilling experience here. But when I say that it flips the traditional Latino immigrant story, it does. They're the stars. The Latino family are the protagonists as opposed to the white family. And so that's the flip. That's the twist. 
you're not going to see many movies like this, man. I, I really enjoyed it. I, I-, I like what you said about this film and why it stood out to you and why it resonated with you and how it flips the narrative. And I, I have to say this for me as a film lover and a film critic, there are certain narratives we live by as individuals, as families, as cultures. And, and those are the narratives that define us, something we talk about on the show. Sometimes we want to shy away from those narratives or, or change them specifically if it's something that you dis- you dislike. And for me, movies about the Black experience, and I think a lot of African-Americans can attest to this, you have feelings about it. There's a certain point where how many movies you want to see about slavery or post-slavery or, or Black people treating badly or, or being mistreated or being ignorant or, or any, any number of things that are part of the narrative, let's just say, of Black stories. So the category of black film for me or african-american film is black stories told by african-americans about the african-american experience whether it's historical contemporary or futuristic and this is a great time for black film because i can name the three films that i have fit into those different categories historical contemporary and then let's say speculative fiction and and that's significant because it hasn't always been this way the, the latter part of the late 20th century, there was what I could call, even though this was like a, the third golden age of black film, it was like a ghettoization of black film. Now, mm. not only do we have all these different genres, but the three films that I'm going to name, all are first-time feature film directors. So these are new voices telling stories. Mm. Now, the first one is, of course, and I don't even say of course because I did not expect to say this, is The Color Purple. None. Ain't you got something to make you just smile? My sister, and I ain't seen her in the years. You know, if you ain't gonna laugh, you need to sell your footy bone. <laughs> oh. I was married to a man I didn't love. Whatever I say, go. He took my sister away from me. Even if we have to part, you and me, us have one heart. How come you so nice? Don't know. Maybe you too nice. You seem like trouble. I come here out of respect. But if there ain't nothing to get, that show ain't nothing to get. Now, I went into the color purple to giving all that context I just gave you. I'm going to be honest. Now, I understand the significance of the color purple. I'm aware of the, the, the novel and, and then there was a musical. And it was during that period in the late 20th century when color purple was made where one of the, the categories of black film was black historical epics made by white directors. It was a genre. And I did not love the original Color Purple. I'm just going to say that. Really? And for I did not. I, I respected it, of course, and celebrated and all of that. But there's an element at a certain point where like, okay, do you, am I going to get any joy 
in watching a film where black people are treated how the, the history of this country. It's something I have to consider going into a film. So when I went in to see the film, when I went and it was going to be the cast and the Q&A after, and I didn't even know it was a musical because I was really just not paying attention. I knew I had to see it. And 10 minutes before it started, I found it was a musical. And I'm going to say that not only was this one of the best films I've seen this year, but this film now, if you know the story of The Color Purple, I don't have to tell you it's a coming-of-age story. It takes place at a certain time. But this adaptation, this musical interpretation, not only is joyous, but it really tells this story in such a different, powerful way that you can celebrate so much about the human experience, about all the themes that this book is really about, that the story is really about, or really should be about, or should be emphasized, or what's emphasized here. And it could not have been that way without the vision of this director. His name is Blitz Bazwuli, and this is his first feature film. And let me just say, this is a man who you absolutely should be watching. Fantasia, of course, this time plays Seeley, and it's got a great cast. And we know the pedigree, but I am telling you, you're going to have an experience you do not expect when you see The Color Purple. I saw The Color Purple, the musical version, the adaptation on Broadway, and oh, it wow. blew my mind. I, the, I still talk about it today, that the experience of that Broadway musical was almost a religious experience. I'm not black. So for me to feel black at that moment was mind altering. I do believe that the musical version of The Color Purple is much more powerful and deeply emotional because there's something that music provides to the senses, to the way the brain registers stories that enhance it when you don't have that. So absolutely, man. Color Purple, by far, its best version and, and, and one of the best movies of the year, too. Now, Mike, my, my second choice for the top three Latino films of 2023 is Radical. This movie is based on a true story from Wired magazine, and it's about Mexican teacher Sergio Juarez, who has made it his mission to make a difference in the lives of a group of sixth grade students at one of Mexico's poor schools. Think of those movies like Stand and Deliver, Dangerous Minds. Edward James almost was nominated for an Oscar. I believe it was 1987 that Stand and Deliver came out, and we had never really seen a movie like that. Now it's become a bit of a genre within the Hollywood system. But in Mexico, this movie takes on a whole different meaning. And I think what the movie really sparks a conversation about is educational reform and why the hell we have allowed kids. We talk so much about how we love kids and kids will do anything for our kids. How do they let kids into schools like this that have poor resources? Like, how much do you believe that kids could be the future of a generation when you don't give them the proper resources? 
Look at everything that's going on in the United States with mass shootings happening in schools. This movie sort of alludes to it in a bit with the cartel setting, but this is an eye-opening film about the massive difference that a teacher can do in the life of a child. And it also deals with what happens with parents who don't have the means to give their kids an education. What do you deal with that when you're the dreamer and your father can't afford even a public school, transportation, books? What do you do? And this movie sort of compacts all that together. And so by the time that you're wiping the tears off of your face, because it's based on a true story, you really do believe that we should have a better educational system everywhere around the world. So an eye-opening film, one of the best films, at least Latino films of 2023. And dude, I recommend this movie to anybody. Wow. All right. This also sounds like a must-see because I come from a family of educators. And when I hear you saying those questions, I know they're rhetorical Jack Rico questions, but why would you want to create a, a future of people who have no access to resources and are not educated and don't have the ability to thrive? And we know why. My second film, and this is a contemporary film in that it more or less takes place today, is a film called American Fiction. How did you come to write this book? What really struck me was that too few books were about my people. Where are our stories? Where's our representation? Would you give us the pleasure of reading an excerpt? Yo, Sharonda, girl, you be pregnant again? If I is, Ray Ray is gonna be a real father this time around. Thank you. Your books are good, but they're not popular. Editors, they want a black book. They have a black book. I'm black, and it's my book. You know what I mean. Look at what they published. Look at what they expect us to write. I just want to rub their noses in it. Now, American Fiction is based on a novel from 2001 called Erasure by a writer named Percival Everett. And it... At the core, the premise of American fiction is worth telling, but the premise is just the premise. It's really the, it's the story and how this story is told and the performances, the conversations, the things that they get into. It's essentially about the consequences of turning your art into a commodity and, and giving in to the market forces. And in this story, this is a black writer who is, let's just say, his work is not selling. He's an intellectual and his work is not considered black enough by the market. And he's watching, let's just say at the time that this book was written in the late nineties, there were a number of novels that clearly Percival Everett was referencing, like the novel Push by Sapphire. And there was a lot of this type of sort of ghetto fiction that had become very popular. And for, uh, Writers who, let's just say, aspire to something different or to redefine what could be thought of or just wanted to be thought of as a writer, it was difficult. And so in response, he writes something that he thinks is, let's just say, as ghetto as possible. But what happens is it, be, 
mocking it, completely mocking it under a pseudonym. And what ends up happening is now, and after forcing his agent to pitch this, it sells and has a bidding war. And all of a sudden now he's getting all the success he would have wanted for the work that he wants to do. And now he's faced with, let's just say, a whole number of issues that make this probably one of the best films I've seen in the last 10 years. I I love the performances from Jeffrey Wright as Monk, the main writer. I loved all the supporting performances. It was great to see uh, old timers like Leslie Uggams and, and so, so many great performers. So many great performers doing great work here. But Cord Jefferson, this is his first feature film. And the fact that this has come out, it's such a confident narrative. There's so many great things about it. Again, it's an exciting time for black film. The fact that there's this breath and this ability for these new voices to come. So definitely one of my top films of the year. My third and final choice for the top three Latino films of 2023 is They Shot the Piano Player. It was 1959. The bossa nova in Brazil changed the history of music. Ella Fitzgerald, Sarah Vaughan, Dizzy Gillespie, Stan Getz, even Frank Sinatra. The entire world began singing and dancing to Brazilian music. I read Jeff's article on the bossa nova rage of the 1950s. I asked Jeff to take things a step further. The story, however, became more complicated. One day, I came across a name unknown to me. Who's Tenorio Jr.? Tenorio was one of the top figures of samba jazz during the Bossa Nova years. What happened to him? Very strange story. This movie was based on a true story of a New York music journalist who embarks on a quest to investigate the mysterious death of a young Brazilian piano player, Francisco Tenorio Jr., whose disappearance uncovers a whole web of secrets, betrayals, and a chilling truth that could rewrite all of music history. Jeff Goldblum is one of the voice actors in this animated docudrama. So no, it's not live action. It's not real people, but it feels real. The animation is typical of a Fernando Trueba and Javier Mariscal who are directing this movie. And if you've seen any of his movies like Chico and Rita that was nominated for an Oscar back in 2012, you know, this is a movie where jazz meets animation. It's a love letter to bossa nova. A lot of you don't know what bossa nova is. It was an emerging sound from the 1960s and 70s. Antonio Carlos Jobim, Joao Gilberto, Frank Sinatra did a whole bossa nova album. And this was around that time. But at around the same time, there was this Latin American political oppression also happening specifically in Chile and Argentina. It's a beautiful looking film. The soundtrack is just ridiculous, you know. Uh, Goldblum does an excellent job and, you know, there, it might be slow in certain moments. Again, it's not a perfect film, but man, this is an incredibly enjoyable, especially if you love music, if you love history, and you want to see something different that stimulates you culturally in a different way. They shot the piano player. My third film and i the first film was a historical comedy drama and then the second film was essentially a comedy drama and this one is billed as a science fiction comedy mystery and it's a film called they clone tyrone 
thought they cloned Tyrone. I saw the title. I like, eh, okay. The people who were involved, nobody there that I'm like, all right, I'm curious to see. All right. Jamie Foxx doesn't jump back and do a lot of comedy. All right. So what is this? The first few minutes in, what am I watching? I'm watching a drug dealer running around and, and talking, living with his mom in, 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 a, in a poor black neighborhood. I'm watching a, a, a pimp and 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 his prostitutes and what the heck is going on well let me just say this because i really don't want to give away more the title of they clone tyrone and whatever you just heard in the trailer does give away some of the film but what this really is a literal science fiction comedy mystery because the main character tyrone well he gets killed but then he comes back and you find out there is a plot. They've been cloning, as the film would say, they've been cloning niggas, okay, in the hood. <laughs> and your heroes are a pimp, a drug dealer, and a prostitute. And let me just tell you, by the time you're in the second act, you are completely with this movie. And I feel like this film succeeds where some other films have not. There's a film called Sorry to Bother You, which I thought, had an interesting premise and it, again it was a satirical was saying something and making social commentary and whatnot but it was more like a stretched out skit to me get out of mm. course i think is brilliant okay but i put this close to the same category where it takes the genre and reminds you that some of the best places are as a matter of fact the best places to talk about let's just say the human experience is science fiction and comedy. And if you can do a science fiction comedy, you can say more in that than you can in any drama. And I thought that this film, which again has a first time writer director, Jewel Taylor, and it stars John Boyega, Jamie Foxx, Tiona Paris. And all I got to tell you is if you missed this during the summer, because there weren't a lot of great films out this summer, this is one of the best films, definitely one of the best black films of the year for me. Well, and that's it for this episode of Brown and Black. If you would like to support this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. Your help will allow us to be heard by many more people. You can follow our comments and opinions on at Brown Black Podcast on X, Instagram, and YouTube. We'll see you on the next episode of Brown and Black.